Welcome to This Week in Common Sense, starring Paul Jacob. My name is Timothy Verkula, and we are going to talk about the big stories of the week that have appeared in the news, but also on thisiscommonsense.org, where Paul has been writing a column since 1999. So, Paul, where do we start today? I find one of the things on this uh, Rittenhouse deal, and as we tape this, it's, uh, it's Friday night, this afternoon, the jury came back, not guilty on all counts. On the Rittenhouse issue, there's so many things like there was, I think it's uh, Matt Tavey uh, sent around a thing that that had a, uh, it's a short like three minute video on all the different times people say Rittenhouse crossed state lines as if there, it's a crime to cross state lines in America. It's a crime to have any any border stuff stopping people from crossing state lines. And one of the things on on Facebook uh, and and just in discussions with people, there's this, what was he doing there? And of course, Antioch, Illinois is a mile away from the state line. You know, there's a lot of border crossing in the on the border of Wisconsin and Illinois because there are people that live there. And uh, and you know, the border is just a little tiny line. Uh, but anyway, Kyle Rittenhouse had a constitutional right to be on that street in Kenosha. And uh, there was something made about him breaking curfew. But of course, I don't believe the courts have ever upheld these curfews as constitutionally valid. So again, um, you know, and, and the gun charge was dropped because that wasn't accurate. Um, and, and again, you know, I know that on the, on the left, they'll say, uh, you know, they're making him into a hero. And, you know, I, I don't feel like he's a hero in, the, in that sense. I really don't feel like people are making him out to be a hero. Um, but I'll tell you what, I watched him testify. I just happened to be sitting in a room and and the TV was on for like two days as he testified. And he came across as a uh, as a, <clears throat> a young man who and a, a very young, he's 18 now, he was 17 there. But uh, then um, but but, you know, it's kind of hard not to like him in the sense that he seems earnest. I, I'm sure I don't agree with every political stand he has. But again, this is a free country. And so if you get in an altercation, it's going to be, well, did, who threw the first punch? And what did you, it's not going to be now, what do you think about abortion? What, what's your position on, on inheritance taxes? Have you really thought that through? Because as we're going through the violence that's happening and looking at the videotape, we'd really like to get a, a full read of your uh, political beliefs. So, you know, and that's that's what's bad about what's what's out there, I think. So many people have an opinion with no information. If 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 people had the same amount of information when they go into a voting booth and they go vote, well, we're sunk. <laughs> and I'm beginning to think they could be part of the problem. I mean, it's just amazing how little people know. And I think the, the uh, stereotype of Kyle Rittenhouse as a, you know, uh, as someone who's 
just going to shoot things up. He wanted to go up there and shoot somebody. It just, it just doesn't come through. And of course, again, that sounds like it's reading, you know, reading him and what's his, what's his motivation, all this. It's also looking at all the facts and because you could read him. And yet if on the videotape, you know, somebody's, you know, walking away and he shoots them, it's pretty obvious that that's, you know, that's a big problem. And, and I think, I think it's also going to be helpful to people in looking at this to see that this Arbery uh, case, uh, Almond uh, Arbery, I'm sure I've, I've not pronounced it exactly right, but, but I think that's pretty close, uh, who committed the crime of jogging through a neighborhood and, and walking through houses that were being built, which I read something on some story the other day where someone says, you know, Almost everybody is in the neighborhood has walked through the house that's almost built. I mean, that's not a it's not exactly a crime either. And one of the things about the Rittenhouse thing is you watch the videotape and you see these people running as hard as they can to go hit him with something or. And it's like, you know, just the physical, you know, people are used to watching, not everybody, but I am, uh, you know, college football on Saturdays. And it looks a lot like that. That's not, you know, trying to be peaceful. And so he was being chased. He was being hit. He was being aggressed upon. And of course, in this case in Georgia, it appears that from, every, from the videotape and other things that are there in evidence, that it was Amand Arbery who was being aggressed upon and who was ultimately shot and killed. And the little testimony, and again, I, on any of these things, that's why you have trials. It's why you have to sit there for the whole trial and hear all the evidence. And so big disclaimer that, you know, look, if you if you listen to the whole trial, you know more than I do. Um, and and but on, on what I've seen in that case, it's just obvious that they're doing the aggressing on this guy. And that at that point, you don't have the ability to go, well, as I was tackling him and, you know, chasing him down, he made a move and I got scared. And so I shot and killed him. That's that's not what happened in the Rittenhouse case. In that case, Rittenhouse is trying to get away from these people and they are chasing him um, and grabbing the gun and, and so on. And one of them, of course, has a gun. And. It's it. We've gotten this way on the criminal justice uh, cases as a whole. Uh, each one of these cases is a separate incident with its own facts, and you cannot go into it as the police are always right or the the police are always wrong or you know this is always a racial thing. And of course. In this case, and I don't know if it was while we after we started taping that we were talking about it, but uh, Glenn Greenwald was on uh, Tucker Carlson and and made the point that in Brazil, several of the papers had printed that Rittenhouse's victims were uh, African-American and then had to retract that. And of course, his take from that was. This is the, you know, they're watching U.S. coverage and this is the way it's been billed. And, and you had made the point that, you know, it may not be that they saw that in U.S. coverage, because like you said, I don't think I haven't heard them ever say that they were African-American. 
but they have treated him as a white supremacist and and it's had that feel and so we had talked earlier about that's kind of what i think has has led uh, uh you know foreign media to kind of be looking at it in that way well it's the standard triangulation of of how you insinuate something right it's it's kind of how a psychological operation is done you don't state the bald untruth that you want people to believe you imply it in everything you say and you never criticize the ideas that would make it plain that the untruth is untrue i think that the the classic case for this was in uh, the lead up to the iraq conquest when uh, we're talking about weapons of mass destruction now it turned out a huge portion of the american people thought that saddam hussein was responsible for the 9-11 twin towers attacks right that's not true there was no connection there's never been any real official connection except a few people, you know, one or two people stated it baldly. But very rarely did anyone actually say it, say it as such. But everything they said implied it. And it was such a barrage. While, while the intelligence community was saying he was not involved. That, the, you know, I mean, that, that was pretty, he was pretty early on cleared as not really being part of that network. He was kind of in the other, you know, network, one of the other networks. I just think that's how uh, that's how the media tends to work now is that you is that you're trying to get people to believe something untrue, but you don't need to always state the untruth. You could sometimes just insinuate it by like, like I said, I call it triangulation after the old Clinton tactic is that you say things that are congruent with it that may or may not be true. There may just be theories they present right. as facts. And you say it enough times with enough certainty, and then, and things that imply it, like the Joe Biden saying that Kyle Rittenhouse was a white supremacist. That was one of his right. great statements. And right. that may actually get him in legal trouble, I understand. They haven't decided whether they're going to go after him or not. I think they shouldn't, frankly. I think they should not do it legally. They should do it publicly. That might be better. That, that would hurt the most, maybe, uh, if it could be done. It, it is, the, there is such a loud narrative on that side that I, you know, in, in some of the comments you see, it's stuff like, well, sure, the, you know, the white kid gets off, even though, of course, his, his you know, victims were also white kids. But it's, it's uh, and, you know, it, it, there's a meme out there that what if a black kid had done this? Or I saw one, well, what if a Muslim kid had done this? Well, what if, if it were the same fact pattern and you had the same videos, nobody can guarantee you that a, a different jury or even this jury or, you know, there's no guarantees in life. You can't know it a hundred percent, but I would hope that that kid would get off. I'm sure they would face a barrage of attacks stereotyping them as the Muslim terrorist or the black thug kid, you know, the hoodlum, uh, the, the Joe, Joe Biden super predator. But let's hope that in a court of law there, they have defense counsel that was good. Rittenhouse's counsel was seemed pretty good. Um, and that makes a difference. Um, and, and so, you know, you would hope that they would get off. And that's what we're striving for. If you want that Muslim kid who acted, hypothetical case, acted in self-defense to get off, if you want that hypothetical black kid 
who acts in self-defense to get off. You got to want the white kid who acted in self-defense to get off. And, and you know, he, he wasn't presumed innocent. You know, that's been, you watch, you watch the cable TV channels and it's, it's uh, uh, you know, he's been declared innocent or he was declared not guilty. But of course, they don't say he's innocent. He's still, you know, um, but, but this case, I think, if, if anyone looks into it, there's a lot like this. If you bother to look into it at all, you realize you have been misled and lied to and tricked and that you have a lot of media outlets out there making money off of, you know, your purchases. Uh, you're part of the economy if you're watching that channel and they're they're feeding your crap. And you know what? I tell my liberal friends, you have to watch Fox News. You have to watch some Fox News because otherwise there's a whole area of what's happening that you don't know. And I don't say that because Fox News always tells everybody the full, honest truth, fair and balanced. They don't. And neither does MSNBC or NBC or ABC or any of them. And people will say, you know, what media sources do you trust? Well, uh, I, I trust but verify, but I have a level of trust for Glenn Greenwald, for Matt Taibbi, uh, for uh, Cheryl Atkinson, who does a TV thing. I'm not sure what the name of that show is now, but it's, uh, it's, it's very good. She was at CBS for years, uh, undercut because she didn't have the right political views. And, uh, and, but, but, even them, you know, they they could get something, they could get it wrong. And we have to we have to be on the lookout uh, with media folks. And in the current climate, it's they're getting stuff just fully wrong. And this is a is a great case in terms of showing how many different things uh, that they've that they've reported that are just not true. Um, but our piece on this, Tim. I think is is interesting for folks. This is at this is commonsense.org. Democrats dissonance on self-defense. Uh, our piece is more theoretical. It's more about where the Democrats are broadly, not just, you know, uh, they, they have their narrative. Uh, and of course they'll they'll hide the facts over the narrative. Uh, the media will and the politicians will. But there's the important thing is where their narrative is headed. And that is that they don't want people to be armed. You know, I, I pointed out that the media doesn't lean left. The media is to the left of the Democratic Party. To the left of the Democratic Party. So they are pushing things like, hey, we can't trust the police, defund the police, Hand over, but but at the same time, they want you to hand over your guns to the police. And then, as we point out in this piece, they not only want you to hand over the guns to the police that they want to defund and not to have there, but especially if there are any remnants of those police forces, don't show up if they have a riot going on and if they want to commit acts of violence and burning stuff. Let me just suggest that there have been times in human history 
where people have set things on fire and it has not ended well, and a person or two or maybe even more have died from those fires, that's a violent act. There's a reason why that is against the law. And, and it isn't just that. There were people killed, killed, dead, murdered as, as part of these riots. And, and I say that not casting any blame on anyone who went to any protest, whether I agreed with what you were protesting for or not. And I certainly went to a protest, uh, at least one, if not more than one, that I suspect would have been labeled in the press as a Black Lives Matter protest. But to me, it was a criminal justice reform protest. And the American people, 90% plus are for criminal justice reform. And we get very little of it because the people who are supposed to be working for us are busy fighting with each other. And, uh, and so many of the stakeholders on this issue want to have discussions about race and studies and different things instead of just going and saying, would you change the law here so that the police can't beat the hell out of somebody and get away with it? Would you change the law here so that there's some follow up on you know, police violence? Um, see, I see that as pro-police and pro-people who have had violent acts committed against them. There's no, I don't, I'm not torn at all. That's just, that's just common sense. And it's why, you know, I, I'm used to seeing poll numbers for term limits, which are high 70s, 80%. You know, those are pretty nice poll numbers. On criminal justice reform, on police wearing body cameras, and on the public being able to see that footage, it's 90% plus on civil asset forfeiture, which doesn't get talked about as much because usually they're not killing anybody. They're just stealing their stuff. But if you don't think having our police forces involved and the federal government leading the way, helping them figure out how to do it, involved in stealing from people without ever charging them with a crime, often stealing from little old ladies. I mean, it's just, just disgusting. Police forces seizing cash, you got to sue to get it back. And, uh, and, and the average amount, small amounts that nobody would ever be dumb enough to, to pay a lawyer seven times that much to actually sue to get it back. Those sorts of things create a police force that's not healthy. And again, there's no black-white division over civil asset forfeiture and getting rid of it. There's no Democrat-Republican division. There's the, the only division is police and prosecutors and politicians and the rest of us. And uh, so this it's it's sad to see uh, this Kyle Rittenhouse uh, uh, case partisanized like it is. I don't think the Arbery case in Georgia will be that way. And I think those guys, white guys, killed a black guy, which is really race part of it beside the point, but just so, so you know, they're going to be found guilty. And I think from what little I know, they darn well should be. And I think it, it it's common sense. It's jurors doing the right thing, which they don't always do. You know, people have different views, but, um, but these are good things that are happening. And, and the truth is on these issues that, Cable TV is fighting, you know, back and forth and that a lot of the country's fighting back and forth. 
if we take the personalities out, if we ask about the issues with no people involved and no, nobody's been accused of being a white supremacist, it is amazing how much agreement there is uh, all across every spectrum you want to you want to talk about. So don't you think that maybe the reason we have all this discord is because certain people like in media and politics want the discord because doing the real job of making less of a mess of things is too difficult. One of the pieces you wrote this week was billionaires back better. And that's about, that's about a tax cut for the very wealthy in Americans that the Democrats, the Biden team has put together and are foisting on the country. And no American wants this except for some, you know, it's really not a popular issue, but the, the Democrats especially, but probably everybody in politics don't want us to really to look at those kind of things. We need to talk about race and, and COVID and hate each other over for that because that helps them. They get power for right. that. But this is super important for the Democrats because it's their voters and their funders in New York and California who are paying heavy state tax bills, income taxes, which people in Texas, Tennessee and Florida, I think South Dakota, Washington State are not paying because they don't have an income tax. Um, and they want to be able to deduct that on their federal income taxes. Now, the Bush tax cuts, uh, the Trump tax cuts, uh, which went you know, across the board, they were tax cuts for the rich. Well, that was just not true. They were across the board. Now it is true that more of the benefits are gonna be concentrated with the rich folks, because like if, if, a, if someone's making 20 times more than I am and they get a tiny tax cut that's 5% and I get like a 15%, they're gonna get more money back because they make 20 times what I make. I'm okay with that. I, I mean, I will pace tonight. I won't be able to sleep, but I'll get over it eventually. It's, it, it's silliness. And of course, the media goes along with it like it's really serious stuff because either they're delusional or they're playing the narrative. And that's the part they're supposed to play. This tax cut the Democrats are talking about is a tax cut designed for the wealthy. Not the super duper 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 wealthy, because it probably matters less than, you know, if you're making, if you're a billionaire, it's probably not as important, but everybody making 250,000, 350,000 family income of 450 or 650,000 living in a nice place in suburban New York or Washington, D.C. or, or Chicago or San Francisco, these are all democratic strongholds. This is a big tax cut for you. Now, I know that you're probably posting on Facebook right now that the rich ought to pay more. But I got news for you. You are the rich and you don't seem to want to pay more. Uh, and that's why Democrats are, are running crazy in Washington to get this tax cut. This is a huge piece. Uh, and of course, it may have passed this evening. Um, but uh, passed the house. But this is the this is 
tax policy where the Democrats do exactly the opposite of what they always talk about. The rich ought to pay their fair share. This is the rich being subsidized. But it's a subsidy that they like because it's also subsidizing their bloated state governments. In other words, now, now my state taxes don't cost me quite as much. I can, I can afford more state tax in New York or California because I'm getting it back on the federal side. And I don't think the federal government ought to be rewarding or, or doing state tax policy. Let the states be laboratories of democracy. It's funny, as I was saying that, Tim, it just occurred to me how, you know, almost everybody I know, they think about, they think about government and they think about de Tocqueville and the laboratories of democracy. And they think about Lincoln and of the people, for the people, by the people. And it is all so sickeningly corrupt in Washington. And with, you know, it's, it, it, do they want, in, at the federal government, do they want the states to have any power, even the Republicans who, you know, want to do, I want to empower the states. What they mean is they want to take the money in and send it back to the states. I always remark that they never seem to want to stop the flow to the federal government. Just let it go direct to the states. What's the point of sending it thousands of miles away and then send it back? Doesn't make any sense. But it makes sense if you're a congressman, because once that money comes into your hands, it gets doled out from your hands. And um, anyway, this is uh, th that was uh, billionaires backed better, which is the build back better, which did pass the House today, uh, this being Friday. And that was uh, earlier in the week. You know, it's interesting that my favorite uh, we, we've lately been talking about some of the thoughts. And my favorite one this week, Tim, was uh, Antonin Scalia, who says campaign promises are by long democratic tradition, that's a small d democratic tradition, the least binding form of human commitment. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> Which is just so obviously true, it's, uh, it's kind of funny. But I'll tell you some of the others that we won't discuss at length, but on Monday we had emergency effrontery, which just explained that this whole vaccine mandate uh, which has now been struck down as a uh, something that the Occupational Safety and Health Administration or agency, uh, I'm not sure which one it is, uh, can do uh, its administration. You know, this is a major government action telling people they have to stick a needle in their arm. And they have no power to do it. They just ran off and did it. And they constantly act like when they when they violate, blatantly violate the Constitution, oh, shucks. But uh, I encourage you to come read Emergency Effrontery. And, uh, and speaking of oh, shucks, another one we, we won't get to, the Senatorial Suppressor, which is all about Elizabeth Warren uh, writing a letter to uh, Amazon and threatening them over a book entitled The Truth About COVID-19. And, uh, <clears throat> and she's being taken to court. Uh, government officials are not allowed to browbeat companies 
into censoring people, indirect censorship, indirect government violation of the First Amendment is still a government violation of the First Amendment. And uh, we'll be watching that case. But but, you know, this is this is what seems to happen a lot in Washington. You can't trust them uh, where the money's concerned and where your free speech is concerned. They are busy, hard at work looking at ways to shut you up. Uh, as, as a friend uh, often says, uh, their, their view is we should shut up and pay our taxes. Yeah, but the more they tell us to shut up, the less people will want to pay their taxes. So they, at some point, they might want to worry about this problem. Well, you know, I'll tell you, uh, the IRS is not as terrorizing. Now, I didn't say it wasn't terrorizing. I've boy, I got my uh, my computer's doing some weird things here. Hopefully, uh, hopefully we're okay. Um, but but the IRS is not quite as terrorizing as it once was. I think you don't hear as many stories. They don't have quite as many agents and so on. That has been very helpful for the federal government. I think in these last 10, 15, 20 years, if the IRS was as tyrannical as it was maybe in the 1970s and 80s uh, and 90s, uh, I, think, I think there may have been more trouble. Uh, so so that, that's a good thing. So, the, so your thing is that, that uh, the government uh, is, is not playing with the fire that it could be playing with, uh, with uh, by increasing the number of IRS agents. But if they do, they might be really playing with fire. They might be. And, and, and of course, Joe Biden has said he wants to double the number of. Uh, <clears throat> and, you know, we haven't talked about that quite as much as we probably should have. Um, his view is, you know, the IRS should be out there uh, grabbing a lot more money. And I think the reality is uh, they used to, uh, we were audited one year. I mean, they, they could, I could have been making a lot, seven times, 10 times, 20 times more than I was, and still wouldn't have been making anything at that time. So it's, it was like, it was, I thought, and of course my wife had every receipt. Uh, boy, if I, if I were a single man, I would have been in a lot of trouble, but she had every single receipt and so on. And, but, but they used to audit people all the time. And, uh, and, you know, I just, I, I think, I think that's a big mistake. And unfortunately it's the type of mistake that leads to a lot of friction and a lot of people being, you know, ground up in the machine. Those are the mistakes. It'd be good not to, not to, not to learn from your mistakes, but learn before you make them. And, and it seems like we kind of have. And I use the phrase playing with fire. I know that seems gratuitous, but I use the phrase because that was your Friday piece. And that's the only piece we haven't talked about yet. Play with fire, November 19th, 2021. Regular readers of Common Sense and listeners of this podcast know that uh, I'm very concerned with China, uh, which I see as a Nazi-like uh, government that is extremely dangerous, genocidal at home. Uh, and, you know, sometimes people will tell you that, that China is not expansionist, uh, but they just don't count things in places where they've expanded, like Tibet. This is a regime totalitarian. It's the only regime I know of in history that has told people how many children they're allowed to have. Um, China is totalitarian in ways no other government has ever been. 
And, and it also is powerful and wealthy. Now, you know, its economy may collapse at any time, just like ours may collapse at any time. I kind of hope that theirs collapses first, just because I think it would be safer and better for most of the people living freely in the world. Um, but I have spent a good bit of time in Common Sense. We do five commentaries a week. We have thoughts. We have the, the podcast on the weekend. And I've spent a lot of time talking uh, about Taiwan, uh, that which I see as kind of the Sudetenland of the modern time. Uh, that's where Neville Chamberlain went and, and basically said, I have peace at hand because he sold out uh, uh, part of Czechoslovakia to the, to the Nazis. And um, it's interesting that China is an ethnostate. It's also you know, completely hostile to religion, completely hostile to free speech. Um, and it wants to attack a, a country in Taiwan, uh, regularly threatens that, uh, claims it, even though if you know anything about the history, its claim is pretty, you know, pretty weak from any sort of historical, geographic, uh, you know, government BS standpoint from any reasonable standpoint, which is, okay, 24 million people live in, in Taiwan. What do they want? They don't want to be part of China. And, and frankly, that's all that, that, that I care about is what do they want? And, uh, and, and then you have the South China Sea where you've got, you know, you've got Chinese vessels threatening people throughout that there was an incident with the Philippines this week, um, you know, and the, and the Philippines has a, a guarantee, you know, we have, uh, we have strategic ambiguity as to whether we would defend Taiwan. Um, and, and my view is, I think free countries ought to band together and stop unfree tyrannies from taking them over. And so I'm open to that. I don't have the right to make other people do what I want them to do. I don't, I'm not going to conscript anybody. I don't have that power. And if I did, I wouldn't anyway. But I am looking to try to convince people that we have serious dangers, dangers that I think are much, much bigger than they've been at really any point in my life. Born, you know, 15 years after the end of World War II, uh, American might and so on has been such that, that I don't think there's, you know, I, we've been very lucky to be on top of the great global, you know, geopolitical fight. Um, I'm not much interested in that geopolitical fight because that doesn't, doesn't seem to be geared toward freedom enough of the time. I think it should be geared toward that. And I think in Asia, it is starting to be geared toward that because you have a monstrous danger in the Chinazis, the, the Chinese Communist Party, which is more Nazi than communist. And you've got people waking up from Japan to Australia, the U.S., uh, other countries. Uh, there was a story today about Bhutan, which is a tiny country in the Himalayas where China is, has aggressed against their territory and built these, these places there. They're trying, to, they're trying to get ways to go after India, it appears. So, I mean, this idea that this is all about the U.S. and China you know, fighting back and forth and, and, you know, competition and rivalry. This is about a totalitarian regime that is a danger to its own people and to everybody it can touch that just tested a hypersonic missile 
that's capable of carrying nuclear weapons. And so I wanted to comment on the virtual summit that Biden and, and uh, Xi Jinping, the uh, chief dictator uh, for life, it looks like, in, in China, had this week. And Taiwan was a, a, a big subject. Uh, there were others, uh, South China Sea and, and what China's doing there, building islands out of you know, reefs and so on, and then militarizing those and then using those to go bully uh, Malaysia and Vietnam and the Philippines and so on. Um, but in reading about the, the aftermath of this, and it basically, uh, uh, Xi Jinping said, you know, uh, support for Taiwan from the U.S. is like playing with fire. And of course, you don't want to play with fire. And the point of my piece was don't play with fire, get serious. And Think about actual defense, because what, what Biden said was good as far as it went. He said, look, this is up to the Taiwanese people to decide they're independent. And now he said that, I think, as he <clears throat> after the, the summit. But independent is kind of an interesting word there, because that's one of the red lines. If Taiwan dares to declare its independence, then China will attack. And, you know, I just find that, like, in my personal life, if I'm talking to somebody, you know, kind of like the guy from Stripes who, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with that movie, but there was one guy in their platoon who, if you, if you do this, I'll kill you. If you do this, I'll kill you. And uh, it's kind of like Japan. If you do this, we'll, we'll invade, we'll bomb you. You know, it's like, I don't like people like that very much. And, um, and so they're constantly, if you, if you declare independence, and of course, uh, the president of Taiwan, Shai Ing-wen, says, uh, says, well, we really have no need to declare our independence. I mean, we function as our, we have our own government, we have our own military, you know, we live on this island, we, you know, there's no, who, who are we supposed to declare independence to? So, um, but this, this Taiwan Strait, 90 miles, you know, about the same distance between Florida and, and Cuba, uh, it's close in distance. It's hard to cross that strait. Um, but I think, you know, whether China is able somehow to take these 24 million free people and, and control them and totalitarianize them uh, or not is, I think, a huge determiner of the future, whether we head into some sort of World War III some Cold War that's, that seems kind of World War III-like in the sense that international trade and, and any sort of good behavior has been completely ripped apart. And, and so, you know, this is something in, in one of the pieces, uh, someone talked about the competition and that it's important that we not drift uh, into war because of some misunderstanding. And I point out in this piece, this is not about competition, not real economic competition. There's, there's no, that doesn't just swerve into war. In fact, it tends to swerve away from war when there's true, honest, decent economic competition. That's not necessarily what's going on with China. But anyway, um, and there's no drifting. This is not some, you know, 
some spirit in the night. This is real world. There's no misunderstanding. If the Chinese government thinks it can take Taiwan by force and not pay a mighty price, it will. If it thinks it can get away with genocide, and so far it is, then it will do it. It is doing it. It has done it before, fallen gone. Um, different sort of genocide, not necessarily by religion. Well, yes, yes, by religion, but not as much ethnic. Uh, but but what what Chinese did to Falun Gong and and you know is and we've written about that at at thisiscommonsense.org. Anyway, I'm making the point that there are times, and I don't see myself. I see myself as a dove. I'm I'm you know I'm a draft resistor for heaven's sakes. I'm not interested in. Being the world's policeman, I'm not interested in geo-global domination or anything else. I'm interested in free people staying free. And I think the U.S. and other countries in the world have to step up. And what I mean by that is we, the people of those countries, have to step up. We have to find ways to get together. We've talked about it before. I don't know if it's a World People's Congress or what, but the people of free countries ought to have more communication and more say about our foreign policies. That would cause them to be geared more to protecting free people and protecting people than in these big, let's have some war over oil or something else. Um, and so I'm, I find myself though a hawk in that I don't want to run and hide from the Chinese. I, I don't want to say, oh, we can't go to Asia anymore. Oh, Japan, Australia, good luck dealing with that 1.4 billion, you know, armed society there. Especially because I think if we, you know, do what we're capable of doing, we can prevent it from happening. And in the same way, look, I got no crystal ball. I'm trying to read it the way I, you know, can, can best honestly and intellectually read it. And I read this like, if if the if Chamberlain would have said, hell no, that's Czechoslovakia, you're not getting the Sudetenland. If France and, and England would have said, if you don't get your, your troops out of the Rhineland, um, you know, we're we're going to do something about it, they may have stopped Hitler. They may have stopped World War II, at least the biggest parts of it. There may be millions of people who would have lived instead of died. And, and uh, you know, I, I read something, uh, email that got sent uh, this week, or maybe it was last week, from my friends at antiwar.com. Um, and when I say my friends, I mean my friends. I consider them to be great people who have fought against uh, outrageous military adventures and foreign adventures that this country shouldn't have fought. Uh, who've been investigated by the FBI and and uh, and believe that you shouldn't be investigated by the FBI just for uh, you know speaking out whether they agree with you or don't agree with you. So great people, but I got a I got an email from them, fundraising email saying no war for Taiwan, and and look uh, you know uh, let's not have a war. Uh, but let's let's be prepared. I think that's the best way to, to approach that. But in in this letter, um, and of course they were talking about 
the U.S. and, you know, the fact we're all over the globe, I have a problem with that, too. I think it's stupid and and oftentimes not helpful. Um, but where it is helpful, uh, I, I, I don't want to cut and run and, and leave millions of people in harm's way. And but one of the things that was said was Taiwan's not worth risking a nuclear war and annihilation of the planet and so on and so on. And my response is, yes, it is. But if you take that to its logical conclusion, is my mom worth a, a thermonuclear war that annihilates the planet? I don't know, but I'm not selling her out to the Chinazis. See, it's, it's, no, is anything worth it? No, then we, we surrender. We give up. We don't want thermonuclear war. We don't want the whole planet destroyed. But, but now we've empowered the ugliest, worst, most totalitarian tyranny that mankind has been able to work up to. This is a serious problem. And so it's, it's you know, as, a, as someone who opposes the draft, which looks like they're going to try to expand, you know, draft registration to women, which is a bad idea. Uh, but, you know, I've been a draft resistor who I've all, I'm not a pacifist. I do want to defend, you know, I'll defend my rights as best I can. And I want our country to as best we can. Um, and it scares me a little bit if I'm the hawk, because uh, I'm thinking, well, where's everybody else? Um I don't like that Russia this week in space is blowing up some satellite. Uh, and I worry that China and Russia, I mean, we were using them to go up in space. And, and I'm not interested in, in having some dominant super weapon over the rest of the world. But I don't really want to give up first place in technology for second or third or fourth especially when it's space technology and they might be shooting hypersonic missiles down into, you know, I, I'm not, I, I'm not willing to kind of just trust that our negotiators will be such sweet talkers that they can get Xi Jinping or Vladimir Putin or anybody else to do what, you know, what we want them to do. I think it's still going to require a military and weapons and, and, and of course, if we, the people, are not at all engaged in that, if we don't know, not that, oh, yeah, we're for that, and that congressman, they voted, they, they spent a bunch of money. No, but actually have some sense of it, like it's our country. If that's not happening, you know, the, the last century, I was thinking about this the other day, was the American century. And I think it's hard to argue with that, you know, from a historical point. Obviously, you could argue it 8,000 different ways. hard to argue with it. God, this is America. It's easy to argue with anything. But it was kind of. And I think that's solid. This century, I don't think is going to be the American century unless um, we are creating some systems that that you know, our, our post-World War II advantage is gone. And of course, it's going to be gone. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. The world's getting better, hopefully. 
unless it gets a lot worse. And, uh, and, and so we, I think we want to build something in Asia where Asian countries like Japan and Australia and others are, are working together where Vietnam and Malaysia and, and Myanmar have a reason to not be in bed with the Chinazis and instead wanting to have more free and open societies because there's protection, because there's the rule of law. I mean, they're scared to death to have to deal with the Chinese without any countervailing, you know, force. And, uh, and you know, I, I think we actually can move away from the role of world policemen, which is an insane and stupid position to be in, where we have to fight every fight everywhere for no, no good reason, and instead start to build regional alliances that make sense of free peoples. Someone was was uh, you know saying, oh, we're gonna we're gonna force democracy on somebody else. Uh, and I thought, you know, when you think of Iraq, we're trying to get democracy in Afghanistan. We don't have to worry about we don't have to force democracy on Taiwan. In fact, we're not gonna be they'll argue with us as soon as as soon as we land to say hello, um, because they have that same spirit of, you know what, we'll decide. And, and so we, got, we have no lessons to teach them in democracy, maybe a few, but they'll teach us a few too. And, uh, and we're not going there to build something and we're not going there really. What, we're, what, what is at stake there? And it's not just Taiwan, of course, it's the South China Sea, is whether you can travel ships through oceans in certain parts of the world. I mean, think of how long it's been since you could navigate anywhere in the world. And that's something that, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of American empire, but in, in a sense, as a world policeman, there has been a, an openness to travel on the oceans. We want to keep that. I don't know that that's an American idea, whether it is or it isn't. I like the idea that anybody can, can take their, their stuff they produced and put it on a ship and go anywhere in the world with it. And I don't want to, you know, I, I don't want, you know, different parts of the world to be saying, nope, we're going to hold you up because, uh, because we can. Well, that was uh, five pieces. Yes. I think you waxed eloquent for quite a long time on the fifth one. Yes. And feel free to feel free to, you know, to go back and go, yeah, we didn't, that was 10 minutes we didn't need. All right. No, I probably won't do that this time. I don't yeah. think I'll do that. I think we should just wrap it up though. Well, we have, uh, you know, the world keeps changing. We got a lot, a lot to do, but I think the Rittenauer trial and I think this other trial, uh, Arbery trial in Georgia, I think the juries will do the right things in both cases and they're clear and it might help people kind of get back on track in terms of, oh, these are actually individual cases. They're not just right, left fights. Uh, so let's hope. Yeah, that'd be a great idea. Uh, because it's not really to our advantage to have these fights, but it is the advantage of certain people. Yes. We're not those people. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This is for the third week of uh, November, 2021. Thanks, man. Okay. See ya.